Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. We're keeping it real. Goes right. Welcome back to Real Take Sports Talk live here on YouTube. Real Take Sports Talk number 65 coming to you in amazing somewhat HD. Um, if you're listening in audio, then you're probably hearing this in as good as video audio quality as you'll ever hear it in. Um, uh, big time sorry for uh, the delay. Traveling during the holidays is a business, but we are here and we are ready to talk about sports. We got a lot on tap today. The New York Giants firing. Yes, firing. Uh, Jason Garrett. We're going to also be talking about another coach that might be fired. A head coach, Matt Nagy, who might be fired. We'll talk about that. St. Louis Rams. Sorry, the city of St. Louis, rather. Settling with the NFL in that big lawsuit that we've been keeping tabs on. All that and much, much, much more all right here on Real Take Sports Talk live here on YouTube. Before we get to any of that, please hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a wonderful new daily video is released. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to hit that follow button. And of course, on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. Helps us grow. Helps my self-esteem. I've said that a lot of times on this show. Let's get things started. Um, and let's start out talking about the team that I actually had a stream for on Monday night. And that is the New York Giants, who got their asses kicked into the dirt by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday Night Football Following a horrendous loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday Night Football, the New York Football Giants have decided to fire Jason Garrett, who was the offensive coordinator for the New York Football Giants for, I believe, the past two years. The team is 3-7 and seven this year. They rank 25th in the NFL in points per game. They are at the bottom of the league when it comes to yards, production from the quarterback position, and everything else that has to do with offense. We've seen a lot of screens from Danny Dimes, from Daniel Jones to Kadarius Toney. We have seen a lack of production from the running game that should honestly be a lot better than it is, considering the fact that you have someone like Saquon Barkley to work with, considering the fact that you have someone like uh, Daniel Jones who proved over the past two years that he's not necessarily the problem in New York. He is not part, probably he's not the solution. He could be part of it, but he's not necessarily the problem. But we'll get to Daniel Jones in just a second. First, um, I want to address the news of Jason Garrett. I mean, I want to say this. Jason Garrett, I don't think, is a bad offensive mind. I do think, though, that he wasn't the right guy for this job. He wasn't the right person, I should say, for this job. I think that this job required a lot more, honestly, breaking down and looking at the talents you have and just using them to the best of their abilities. And if I'm being quite honest with you, not running the ball consistently with Saquon Barkley and setting that threat of the run and doing literal screen passes for the entire game, even when you're down by double digits, that's not going to get it done for this football team. They were 3-6 and six on Monday night. They should have been more... Uh, uh, they should have been ready. They should have been... Honestly, more risky. I don't even want to say risky. They just throw the ball more than 10 yards downfield and you wouldn't have had this problem. But I digress. Garrett is out. It's not going to fix the offensive woes that this team's been ha having over the past number of years. 
And that brings me to my next point. What's next for the New York football Giants? What's next for this organization? And honestly, what's next is probably getting rid of everyone else. And I think that the New York Giants, when when Dave Gettleman drafted Daniel Jones, he automatically tied himself to the success of Daniel Jones, not only as a functional quarterback in the NFL, not only as a quarterback that can play in the NFL, but as a franchise quarterback, a cornerstone for this football team and the guy who was going to uplift them out of this this potential rut that they could have had with Eli Manning, you know, at the descent of his career. That didn't happen. What happened is Daniel Jones proved that he was a pretty good quarterback in the right situation ha- can have spurts of being great. The issue is the foot- the New York Giants never put him in the right situation. Dave Gettleman had multiple years to draft great offensive linemen. Dave Gettleman had multiple years to draft weapons for Daniel Jones. He got one. He got one. Saquon Barkley. And I'm pretty sure that was a year before Daniel Jones. So yeah. While Daniel Jones was there, they didn't do a good job surrounding him with talent to actually help him function in this offense, to actually help their young quarterback get better and learn and build confidence. Instead, what they have done is construct a system that is fundamentally flawed because it doesn't protect your young quarterback. It doesn't supply your quarterback with the weapons necessary because as good as Kadarius Tony is at doing these little double moves, he's not a true number one. Uh, at least in this situation, and they didn't, and they didn't have the defense either to back it up. Daniel Jones needs to be in the right situation to be a quarterback that can lead a team to the playoffs. That's just the truth. That is the god honest truth. All right, and some New York Giants fans might not want to hear it. Some New York Giants fans might not be be open to the idea of Daniel Jones being, you know, not the guy moving forward. That's the truth. Dave Gettleman, at the end of this season, for his ineptitude as being at being a GM, I know Giants fans agree with that, needs to be gone. Joe Judge, unfortunately, in, over the past two years, has not proven that he can inspire this team. He has not proven that he can will this team to win. He, is not, he, cannot, he has not proven that he is the right person for this job to, to see them through this rebuild. I just don't think it's going to work with him. For that reason, he should be gone. Here's what I'll say about Daniel Jones. I think for this football team, given the way they're currently made and, and, and what their future might hold, they should keep Daniel Jones on the roster for next year and honestly do not draft a quarterback in 2022. Or, yeah, 2022. The quarterback class of 2022, as good as Coral and, 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 and all of these other guys seem like they are, the they all have a certain level of they they have a lower floor and honestly a lower ceiling than a lot of uh, quarterback classes previous, and especially when you compare it to twenty twenty three when you got people like Bryce Young um and and others coming out Rattler also potentially coming out. You wait till twenty twenty three. You stick with Daniel Jones and you build an actual team. And use those picks to construct the team for whoever that quarterback of the future is. And who knows? Who knows? Daniel Jones, if you draft the right pieces around him, could be successful enough to keep his job or even lead this team 
to a better record than, you know, 6-10 and 10 or 4-12, and 12, what, what they've been doing the past few years, and the 3-7 and seven now, they're on their way to being, like, probably, I don't know, 5-12, and 12, whatever uh, the math would work out to be under these, uh, uh, the expanded game rules or whatever, but... There's got to be some big changes, some absolute big changes that need to happen in uh, the Big Apple. And I, I just, I think and it needs to start from the top. It's, it was, the problem was not just Jason Garrett. The problem was not just Daniel Jones. The problem was not just Saquon Barkley not being healthy. It has been a systematic problem with this football team for a while now. And the truth of the matter is, some teams... You know, they adapt to bad situations and bad years. The Giants have proven that they've not been in that situation to adapt. They've proven that they're not able to adapt. Instead, they've proven that they are able to make a already bad situation worse and be complacent enough not to admit that it was a problem. Dave Gettleman, in on all honesty, no disrespect to the man and his family, probably should have been fired from his position as general manager of the New York Giants a year ago. Because it was it was proven that he couldn't build a roster. It was proven that he couldn't uh, that his eye for talent. Daniel Jones, all respect to him, probably not a first round quarterback. I think we can all agree. The 2019 draft, number one quarterback in that draft was definitely Kyler Murray. Looking back, who's the number two? It was Gardner Minshew. It was Gardner Minshew, the second best quarterback in that draft. And then you got then you drop another level, and it's like then it's Daniel Jones. Drop a few more levels. Dwayne Haskins. Then that's where Daniel Jones is. Daniel Jones is a serviceable enough quarterback. I truly believe that. And there's still a lot of potential there. And is there going to be a team that could potentially use that raw ability that he does still possess? Yes. Will it be New York? I'm not sure. That is to be determined. That is to be determined as I sip my water. Um... But I hope for the best for him because Daniel Jones honestly won me over in a way because I kind of realized it wasn't just Daniel Jones. Like Daniel Jones, granted, not a franchise guy, but also not, you know, a bad quarterback. Yes, he turns the ball over. I think it's partially because he's a young guy who had a confidence shot because of the lack of protection he had his first few years in the league and the lack of talent surrounding him. Um, but yeah. Anyway, Johnny G could probably tell you more about that. Um, instead, let's move on and talk about another coaching situation that is looking like it's getting tenuous, and that is in Chicago. In Chicago, thunderous chants of fire Matt Nagy have happened at baseball games throughout the year. They have happened at AEW wrestling events throughout the year, and they have been happening at Bears games for basically the entire season. Chicago Bears fans want Matt Nagy gone, and they might get their wish after Thanksgiving. It has been reported that Matt Nagy could be fired. Uh, Chicago Bears quarterback, or sorry, Chicago Bears head coach Matt Nagy uh, actually denied a report that said that he could be fired after Thursday's game, the Thanksgiving Day game against the Detroit Lions, um, and he says that that report was not accurate. Um, it was reported by patch.com and quoted as a top source. Take that with a grain of salt. Nagy said he has not spoken to owner George McCaskey, team pres the team president, um, Ted Phillips, or anyone else in the front office. 
The group has regularly scheduled meetings, but they skipped this week because of the already shortened week. Of course, they're playing on a Thursday night, short week. Um, Bears are currently 3-7, and seven, five consecutive losses, reverting back to Andy Dalton as a starting quarterback because of the injury to Justin Fields, uh, suffered in the Baltimore game. So, a lot to break down here. This report that Matt Nagy could be fired after Thursday's game has a lot of people up in arms. I know a lot of Bears fans who are personally very, very, very happy about this news potentially happening. Um, but here's what I will say. I think we need to kind of take it easy. Does it make sense that if Matt Nagy, if the Bears had decided, right, after Sunday's loss to the Baltimore Ravens, we need to fire Matt Nagy. Like, he needs to be gone. If they had decided that, that right then and there, it would make sense that they probably would hold off on it until after Thursday's game because of the short week, because you want to give your interim head coach or whoever would be coming up the game plan, your players, time to adapt, time to get ready, time to fill those shoes, and honestly, who gives you the best chance to win? And, uh, and well, that's already, that's already win is arguable. But who gets gives you the best chance to kind of just get through this short week? Probably Matt, sticking with Matt Nagy, it, it throws off the structure less, and then you fire him after Thursday's game. I get the logic in that. I do think that, though, that if they were going to fire him, they would have done it already. I think the McCaskies and Ted Phillips and Ryan Pace, everyone involved in this situation, they misread everything about the way that this team has kind of operated over the past few years. The Chicago Bears, for the past few years, they've gone to the playoffs under Matt Nagy, I believe, two of his first three years, right, in the league. That one year, they went 10-6. and six. I believe they won the NFL. Or actually, no, they went 11-5. and five. They, they, did, they had a great record. They, behind a great defense, behind Mitch Trubisky, 2018, they won the division. They obviously lost in the playoff off the double doink. Big shout-out to Cody Parkey. Uh, and then they slipped into the playoffs last year at 8-8. Eight and eight. The Chicago Bears only made those playoff appearances because of their defense. I want that to be known. I also want it to be known that they won in spite of Matt Nagy. I also also want it to be known that Mitch Trubisky actually might have been less of a problem. I'm not saying he was a franchise guy. Mitch Trubisky is not a franchise quarterback. Can he play in the NFL? Absolutely. But he's not the franchise guy. But I think that a lot of people threw a lot of blame at Mitch Trubisky. And that blame probably should have been shared much more with Matt Nagy. Because Matt Nagy essentially got a free pass. They got to, they got to like, you know, put the scarlet letter, the proverbial scarlet letter on Mitch Trubisky. And instead, Matt Nagy just kind of got away scot-free. And everything that he did to create that situation, to not prepare his young quarterback to play, uh, it all went by the wayside because, oh, our coach is doing so well. He made the playoffs two out of three years. It has nothing to do with the fact that he has almost not changed his system around the the quarterback that's there to uplift that quarterback's capabilities, to uplift what that quarterback can do well. This should have been ha- this should have happened a long time ago. And honestly, what has happened to Justin Fields? over the past number of weeks, is just the perfect epitome of what Matt Nagy does to an offense. Because Matt Nagy is the type of coach that 
instead of playing to Justin Fields' strengths, instead of using his legs, instead of getting outside the pocket, doing bootlegs, to get your young quarterback comfortable, to get him moving, to move your offensive line that can't block for the crap, instead of doing things that would make sense. No, I'm going to have Justin Fields run my offense the way I want it to be run because the system, my system as Matt Nagy, is better than any one player. Matt, what has that system produced offensively? Honestly, what has that system produced offensively? You're a 3-7 football team. Your offense ranks near to the bottom of the league every almost every year over the past like three years. No one would say that the Bears' offense is a juggernaut. No one would say the Bears' offense is explosive. No one would say the Bears' offense is anything but a joke. As far as what the Bears should do moving forward, whether it's the thanks after the Thanksgiving game, whether this report is true or not. You get rid of Matt Nagy. The sooner you do it, the better Justin Fields will be for it. Because Justin Fields is a guy who still has a lot of potential, a lot of ability. He's in, he's a rookie. And he has shown that when Matt Nagy is not calling plays for him, and they're actually working with him to, to construct an offensive game plan that works suits his strengths and gets him confident and gets the offense going, who would have thought? Justin Field plays better. Who would have thought? Just work to your quarterback's strength, and maybe he'll play well. What a freaking just out there obscure concept. Am I right, Bears fans? They've been chanting fire Matt Nagy for years in Chicago, and they've been doing it for good reason. And I am not like, you know, one of these people. I'm like, oh, my God, I hope he loses his job. But like, it is just when you do such a bad job in a, in a position that operates the entire offensive game plan and everything that uh, happens in Chicago, I mean, it is just you got to be held accountable at some point. And Matt Nagy, to be fair, has made a lot of money. Like, it's not like he's going to be hurting for money, um, hopefully anytime soon. But, look, wish the best for him and his family, obviously. But, man, you also you also got to do your job at the end of the day. You know what you signed up for as an NFL coach. That's what you signed up for. It's a tough job, and you have to be able to adapt. The best ones are able to adapt. Look at John Harbaugh in Baltimore. John Harbaugh in Baltimore is the perfect, like, epitome of a coach adapting to the team around him. When Lamar Jackson came into Baltimore, he did not pretend Lamar Jackson was going to be day one a pocket passer who just is a statue in there, flings it 80 yards. He wasn't going to pretend that, that he was ready to do that right out of the gate. So what did they do? They changed the entire offense midseason, and they ran it. They ran Lamar ball. They did exactly what. what is Lamar comfortable with. All right, moving outside the pocket, read options, boom, boom, boom. They turned him into one of the most explosive running threats in the league in his first year. So by the time his second year rolled around and he had a full offseason and he had that time as the full-time starter, he was ready to take the league by storm. And why did he have that confidence to do that? Because they used his strengths and put him in the best position to be successful. 
The best coaches do that. The ones that don't, and the ones that don't re that don't realize that you need to sometimes adapt your game plan to the players you have, especially the most talented players you have. The ones that don't end up like Matt Nagy. That's just the real take truth, people. I'm sorry. If you agree with me, let me know in the chat. Hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Daily videos on YouTube.com forward slash Real Take Sports. Also, be sure to check out RealTakeSports.com, our new website that is in beta. Announcing a full launch on that and, and some content going up there pretty soon. All right. Let's switch gears now, um, as uh, many of you who are watching the uh, live version right now can see. We're going to go switch gears to the NBA. So let's talk about the NBA. So, big news in the NBA. The NBA announced on Monday that LeBron James has been suspended for one game without pay, which amounts to about $248,000 in, in uh, game check forfeiture uh, for, quote, recklessly hitting Isaiah Stewart in the face and initiating an on-court altercation. It was also announced that Isaiah Stewart, who was left badly bloody after his face uh, took the elbow uh, from LeBron, had been suspended for two games without pay for, quote, escalating an on-court altercation by repeatedly and aggressively pursuing LeBron James in an unsportsmanlike manner. A lot to talk about here. For those of you who don't know exactly what happened, LeBron James, um, after a free throw trying to go up for a rebound, committed a just egregious loose ball foul on um, Isaiah Stewart of the Pistons. He he cocked his uh, entire arm and elbowed him in the face. It was it was a dirty play. I think we can all agree it was it was a bit of a dirty play. Do I think he intentionally meant to hurt him that bad? No, but do I think it was uh, it was egregious? Yes. Now. I do agree. LeBron, one, should have been thrown out for that play. And he probably should have been suspended because it was a very, very uh, big foul. It was a big foul. And it led to a dude getting his eye busted open. And I totally understand Isaiah Stewart being pissed. So the suspension on LeBron James is warranted. That's number one. Number two, Isaiah, Isaiah Stewart. So after this happens, Isaiah Stewart proceeds to be mad. Very, very, uh, you know, acceptably. Like, I understand why he's mad. That makes sense. So Isaiah Stewart is mad, and he squares up with LeBron James, obviously. Okay. Then his teammates hold him back. They break it up. Isaiah Stewart starts running to LeBron James, and, and you know, or one of the Lakers players, and he, he wants to fight. All right. Again, just got cocked with an elbow in the face. Your face is bleeding. You see red. Don't blame you. His teammates and coaches talk him out of it, and he, he goes back, and then he does it again. And then they bring him to the back, and he starts running again, apparently trying to cut someone off from the, from the, in the back. It was, it was a mess. And, you know, all the while, the, the PA announcer in Detroit is saying, fans, do not get involved. You know, obviously, both benches are involved. Like, it was... It could have been a lot worse than it was, if quite frankly. And I do think Isaiah Stewart should be blamed for escalating that situation past what I what I believe to be acceptable and what I think most rational people would believe to be acceptable. Yes, LeBron James 
did a terrible thing by hitting Isaiah Stewart in the face. 100% true. And he should be suspended, and he was suspended. However, Isaiah Stewart's reaction to it, not the first time, not even the second time, but the third time, at that point, you you have to stop. You absolutely have to stop. At that point, you're already gone. Your teammates have already pushed you away. I like I even understand like once just running over and but but after third time you didn't need to do that. At that point, you are openly escalating the situation and you know like that really could have led to a open brawl. Like I am not even joking and I'm not trying to make an analogy to the mouse and as the palace because that is its own thing. This is nowhere near that. But there are it's sports. It's competitive. People have allegiances to their teammates, obviously. But man, oh man, like, it, so it is a powder cake sometimes. It's an emotional game, basketball. It's, a, it's, it's sports in general. It's emotional. It's a powder keg. And, when she, and once you try to, like, you know, hit it too many times, once you light that flame too many times, things can get out of control pretty easily, right? So Isaiah Stewart just should not have escalated the situation more. That is why I, I do think the two-game suspension is warranted in his case. Um, and and it, is, and it is not a case of, oh, my God, I think he deliberately, or, or I think, you know, he, he, you know, he wanted to create another big brouhaha, like, you know, big brawl. He, I think he was pissed. I truly think he was pissed and... He and he wanted to fight because someone just basically elbowed him in the face. I get that. I totally get that. Who knows how any of us would react in that same situation? The issue is in professional sports, you have to, at the end of the day, compose yourself to a point. At a point, you have to keep your composure. The second time your teammates bring you to the sidelines and just say, let it go, and you're like chilling out and you're like, whatever, don't play possum with him and be like, I'm good, I'm good, and then start running. At that point, you start to take responsibility for what happens afterwards. And I think it's an important thing for the NBA as a league to say, this situation, even though it didn't lead to anything bad, man, oh man, we can we cannot allow, you know, these types of things go unpunished. They have to. One, it's a liability thing. Two, it's a protecting the rest of the players thing. Three, protecting the brand. It is, you don't want people fighting. And you don't want people to think escalating in any way like this is okay. We're there to watch the basketball. We're not there to watch people fight each other. So, again, I understand completely Isaiah Stewart being mad, being pissed, blood on his I totally get it. But the third time, man, like after you've already broken, after you've already, you know, gotten, you know, pulled away twice, like you, it was unnecessary. It, and I and I totally get him being mad. It was just flat out unnecessary. And I know there's a lot of people out there who want to say, well, LeBron is more responsible because he's in, he started it. Yes, LeBron did start it. And had it just been that one time or even that second time Isaiah Stewart ran up to him, I would have said LeBron is still more culpable. But when Isaiah, or, or they're at least even if after the second time, but when Isaiah Stewart came over the third time, I was like, oh, what are you doing, dude? What are you doing? Like, come on. Like, at that point, just like anyone who's been pulled off, 
you know, like twice already, just let it go. At that point, everyone lets it go. Like, you can't. You got to compose yourself. I'm sorry. I, I, I totally get it. And who knows how any of us will react, but you got to compose yourself. That's just the truth. And again, LeBron should have been suspended for a game. He should be, he should be, he should be suspended. It is warranted because it was a dirty play. And that doesn't mean LeBron James is a dirty player now. It just means he committed a dirty foul. All right? Once in a 17-year career, it's bound to happen, right? It's bound to happen. I'm just... I think people sometimes, you know, and, and there's a lot of people who want to use this to kind of, you know, instigate their own LeBron debates and their own, like, LeBron theories and, and, and what have you. But I just think, you know, we're adults. We, we, we can... We should be able to kind of get past this kind of stuff, I think. But I don't know. Let me know what you guys think in the chat. If you haven't already, hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Elena Newton. Alana Newton. Elena. I think it's Elena. <laughs> Not Alana. What is Alana's name? Um, welcome, uh, uh, Elena Newton. Uh, says in the chat, Isaiah Stewart is a savage. He's a beast. He is a one hell of a basketball player, and I get he's 20 years old and he's young and all that, um, and I get him being pissed. I totally do. Absolutely understand him being mad. My thing is, this, after you've been pulled off two times and you run back, at that point, it's out of, it's out of the hands of the NBA. They got to do something because you can't allow that type of reaction to go like you know unwarranted. It's, it's, you got to set a precedent that you know once you've been pulled off twice— just let it go. Let it go. Again, dirty play by LeBron. Totally understand it. Totally understand it. Um, Yeah, and if you guys haven't already, hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Moving on. I've been waiting to talk about this all day long we got some big-time news about football outside of the NFL. Everyone, lend me your ears, lend me your vision, lend me your everything. The USFL is returning in the spring of 2022, and they just recently announced their new teams, all of their teams, for the 2022 spring season. They are going to be two divisions, as you can see right here in this wonderful graphic to my side. Two divisions. Northern Division is going to host the Michigan Panthers, the New Jersey Generals, the Philadelphia Stars, and the Pittsburgh Maulers. The Southern Division will be hosting the Birmingham Stallions, the Houston Gamblers, and the New Orleans Breakers, as well as the Tampa Bay Bandits. My goodness gracious, eight football teams in eight good, really good football cities and a new spring football league. All eight teams will play in one location during the inaugural season, so we're not going to see, like, you know, flying back and forth. I guess that's for one, possibly COVID reasons, but primarily for monetary reasons to save money. I get that. The logos have been updated for the new league. These are all teams that were in the previous USFL back in the 80s. Um, the league will begin play in April of 2022 with games every Sunday and Saturday during a 10-game season. This is a quote from Brian Woods, the president of football operations for the USFL. He says, 
we are excited to take this next major step in the development of a new USFL. Um, he goes on to say that these eight teams form a, the core of our initial league membership and will represent an exciting brand of professional football coming this spring. We look forward to the start of our inaugural season, and boy, am I excited. I don't know about anyone here. I don't know about anyone watching this, but I am a huge fan of spring football. I am a huge fan of all football. The USFL is a good thing for football because it allows us to have a look at some of the stars from college that maybe weren't cut out for the NFL or didn't get the right opportunity in the NFL. And it also gets gets us kind of ready, gives us a little bit of an appetizer for what we might see in, in you know, in the summer and in the fall and in the winter in the NFL. Because what we saw from the XFL in 2020, uh, less so from the AAF because that was just a dumpster from the beginning, but the XFL before COVID and, and the pandemic hit, it was doing great. The XFL was amazing. Ratings were really great. Um, the product on the field was amazing. The fans were into it. Again, I was at the last DC Defenders game during the Cup Snake game. It was the one of the wildest and funnest experiences of my life. So I think spring football in general is good. Um, will the USFL live up to the hype? Considering the fact that it has Fox Sports behind it, and it has the monetary uh, uh, value and and support behind it. It has the TV rights, obviously, behind it. I think this is a really good venture that will last. No one could have predicted what happened to the XFL in 2020 and how that folded. It was unfortunate that that happened. But had that not happened, had that you know the the pandemic and everything not happened. I think the XFL would still be around today because it was a product that was in really good football cities that worked. And this is the same thing. It's a brand that people know being resurrected uh, that is hosting games in really good football cities or, or hopefully in 2023 will be, but, you know, really showing a base at least this year. I think it's going to be good. And I, the one thing I will say, though, about the USFL, my gosh, do I wish there was more hype for the USFL because... You know, I, you hear about it, right? You hear about, oh, the USFL is coming back. Oh, you know, like every now and then. But no one's really pushing it. Like, And again, I get it because it's probably because it's a Fox Sports venture. And, you know, CBS probably doesn't want to send them over. ESPN doesn't want to send people over to Fox Sports. I get that. But it's a new football league. It's exciting. It's 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 People should care. We should be hearing about it. They should be launching commercials now. Like, especially considering they just announced the teams, you want to create that fandom early. You want to create that connection with the fans early, you know, like the XFL did. Say what you want about how the XFL ended. They did an amazing job reaching out to communities, reaching out to, to you know, the fans and reaching the fans, actually, prior to the launch of the XFL. That's what led to such great ratings. That's what led to such great product on the field. And that's what led to a lot of XF, former XFL talent eventually making their way over to the NFL. Not all of them became starters, but P.J. Walker has started games in the NFL. That's much more that he could say before he was in the XFL. Significantly more. And he might have been the MVP of the league had it not folded. So I'm excited to see what the USFL can offer. And I think that it is going to offer an, an, a really good product, considering the people that are behind it. They brought in amazing football people. Uh, they've 
obviously have the support of Fox Sports, which is a big deal because it reinforces, you know, them as a product, you know, possibly not going out. I like the fact that just in case to save money and and, and prevent any sort of uh, hopefully any sort of spread of of anything, they're having it in one location. Would I like them to kind of, you know, obviously you would like to have different locations, but take it slow. Take it slow. Let's see where it goes. But you have to be excited, right? Um, yeah, that, like, like that's all you can say. I am excited to see what this can be. Because, and again, I'm going to go back to talking about the AAF and the XFL because those are the contemporary um, examples of spring football leagues. I think the AAF was, it was a, an overhyped idea that never lived up to any of the hype. And obviously folded because it didn't have the monetary backing. The XFL was, I think, hyped at just the level it was it was at. I thought it was a great product on the field, like I said. It had really good monetary backing up until, you know, the unpredictable event of 2020 happened. Um, because Vince McMahon just literally sold a bunch of his WWE shares to to fund it. So it had a literal billionaire funding it that was invested in it up until the point, well... You know, 2020 happened. But I think the USFL is even set up for more success than both of those combined because of of the connections it has. And it has the potential to truly be a good feeder league to the NFL. And I think they really can learn from the mistakes and what went right and what went wrong with the XFL and the and the AAF before it. Because Say what you want. The XFL especially had some really innovative, good ideas that I think the USFL should incorporate. And I'm talking about the 4th and 15 uh, onside kick rule, where instead of kicking an onside kick, it's a 4th and 15, and if you convert it, you get the ball back on, on the kickoff. Or the, the you know, the uh, weighted, or should I say layered 2.3 um, point, point conversions. I like those. I like those rules. I think they make the game more interesting, more competitive, and more compelling to watch. So if I'm the USFL or I'm giving them advice, my one piece of advice would be look at the previous spring football leagues. Obviously avoid their mistakes, but also take from them. And what would you like to see in the NFL? Think about that. Get outside the box. What's something you would like to see in the NFL? Try it. That's what this league is for. It's for trying innovative, cool ideas that maybe fans want to see. So I'm very hopeful, very excited, and quite honestly, just, just you know, I'm, I'm giddy. I'm waiting. I mean, obviously I, obviously, I want the Ravens to go to the Super Bowl first and win. But, you know, I, I, I'm just counting down the days of, of until this football league starts because, you know, say what you want about spring football leagues. A lot of people hate on them because of, of the past. And, look, I truly, trust me, I understand it. But at the same time, I think it's just exciting, man. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. Don't worry about, you know, the destination sometime. But I think we can all just enjoy the ride of spring football. Like, that that should bring us all together, right? Am I right? Let me know in the comment section. Hit me up with your questions in the chat. We got some more topics to go over. But hit me up with your questions in the chat. Hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Let's move on. Sticking with football, we got a lot of football stuff to talk about. (laughs) Let's move on and talk about 
Baker Mayfield making his world famous. Bacon his world world ah there. Tongue tied there. Let's drink some water. Parched. Anyway, Baker Mayfield over the past number of weeks has been baking his world famous apple turnovers. Led to many people speculating whether or not he might be benched. Um, interesting development, isn't this? So, Baker Mayfield is dealing with a plethora of injuries. Torn shoulder labrum, injured knee, injured lots of things. Um, and it's got a lot of people thinking whether or not the Browns might be better off with Case Keenum starting, at least um, at Sunday Night Football versus the Baltimore Ravens. Also, Baker Mayfield's play has not really enticed many Browns fans into thinking that he deserves a starting job anymore. Uh, Ten touchdowns, six interceptions, I believe, this season. Browns fans apparently have pissed him off because they were loud on, um, you know, offensive series that the Browns had this year while they were at home, and Baker called them out for that. Interesting developments in Cleveland. Uh, Even when things are going right, even during... Cleveland had not been to the playoffs for, like, 25 years. Baker Mayfield comes there and is, like, one of the most consequential factors of them going to the playoffs. And then all this happens. And, look, I'm not saying it's not one or the other's fault. It's a mixture of a lot of things that's happening in Cleveland. Let me get to the first thing. Does Baker need maybe a break to reset? Does he need a break to maybe get healthy? There's when you're dealing with injuries like a torn shoulder labrum, when you're dealing with injuries like a you know what his knee and everything else, you can only get so healthy in like a matter of a few weeks. You can get him feeling better for sure. You can get him poss- definitely playing slightly better or even quite a bit better by just sitting him down for this game and then they have the bye week and then that gives him two weeks to kind of rest up and. You know, maybe just feeling less pain and, and more comfortable for uh, their game after that. Yeah. And maybe that'll help them get through the run and, and go on a run to the playoffs. That is possible. But to say that it would alleviate, you know, 90%, even 80 70 it probably wouldn't even alleviate, honestly, like 30% of what's ailing him and what's hurting him right now, if we're being honest. Two weeks is not enough time to heal. It's enough time to just get your body prepared to deal with the pain uh, over time and, and 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 work that out. So that's just number one. Number two, I mean, okay, yeah, I would do it. Honestly, I would do it because one thing Case Keenum has proven is he can run that offense almost as effectively as Case Keenum or as uh, Baker Mayfield can as while he's injured. And also, Baltimore has been proven to be a suspect defense. And Case Keenum, he has an arm. He knows how to find receivers. Ask Stephon Diggs. Like, if Case Keenum is still the quarterback in in Minnesota, Stephon Diggs is still a wide receiver in Minnesota. You can bet that. Big shout-out to Kirk Cousins. Um, But, no, in all seriousness, I think the the Browns could be well-served with giving Baker a break mentally, physically, and all that to reset Start uh, Case Keenum, see what he can do. You can probably run. You you you'll probably be a little less compelled to throw the ball like as much as you do with Baker, which might help out the running game. 
and Case Keenum can and won't make mistakes. He will not make crucial mistakes. He won't necessarily win a shootout. Although I think he could with the weapons that Cleveland has. But you got to think that getting Baker mentally and, and physically, you know, better would help the Browns in the long term. Now, the other thing that a lot of people have said, right, is there's this debate about whether or not Baker Mayfield is a great quarterback or an elite quarterback, right? And people are yelling. FS1, Colin Coward is yelling. Baker May he's been saying this for like the past three years, four years, however long Baker's been in the league. Baker Mayfield is a bust. Baker Mayfield isn't a good... It's, it's, it's a one-trick pony when he's talking about Baker Mayfield because that's what sells, you know, that's what gets him views, whatever, right? I get that. Baker Mayfield, if we're being honest, four years in, is a really good quarterback. And I truly believe that. Even good quarterbacks have off years I, I, all, while they're injured. The dude is playing with a torn shoulder labrum. He's been dealing with injuries all year. I think Browns fans, I think pundits, I think everyone needs to relax. This is the same dude who, in 2018... Taking over a team that went uh, 0-16 the previous year. Broke the single-season rookie record for touchdown passes, only playing 13 games. 27 touchdowns, 14 picks. The next year, they hired Freddie Kitchens for some ungodly reason as the head coach. That fell apart. He bounces back in 2020. Not only does he have a really good statistical year, throwing 26 touchdowns, 8 picks, but... He also brings the Browns to an 11-5 record. And they're a first playoff win since they were since the, they relocated to Baltimore. And now he's having, you know, a slightly off year because he's injured, averaging more yards per attempt. Granted, 10 touchdowns, 6 picks. Not great, Baker. But he's injured. And if he's not healthy, maybe he's better to put Case Keenum in for a little bit. And then if it, if you can weather the storm with that, hell yeah. Put in Baker Mayfield when he feels better, when he has a mental break, when he has the, that time to reset. Because that could be consequential for this team moving forward on making a run in the playoffs. I'm so serious. Anyone who says Baker Mayfield is a bad quarterback. Anyone who says Baker Mayfield is an average quarterback doesn't know what average quarterback play looks. Trust me, I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. I saw Joe Flacco play average quarterback play for, for a decade. Love Joe Flacco. Big shout out to number 19 up there in, in New York. But it's true. He's a very good quarterback, sometimes inconsistent, but a very good young quarterback. Is he Lamar Jackson? No. Is he Josh Allen? No. Is he Pat Mahomes? No. But he doesn't need to be. And I get, yeah, he was drafted number one overall. Should he be better than those people? Considering how high he was drafted? Probably, but he's not. He's not an elite quarterback. He's a very good quarterback who can be great. And that's fine. Because he has the ability to at least uplift this team sometimes. And he did so in the playoffs. Whether we want, whether Baker haters want to admit it or not, he did uplift them in a playoff win last year. That is the God honest truth. 
So, my message to Browns fans, my message to pundits, my message to everyone, yeah, sure, give Baker the night off against Baltimore, run an offense, control the clock, let Baltimore make the mistakes that they might make. Again, I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. I've seen them. They probably will make some mistakes and take advantage of them in, uh, on the, on, in the air because that secondary has been prone to, you know, it's been prone to just let play big plays happen. Um, but just get them ready. But just everyone, R E L A X, relax. All right. Who would have thought that I would have been defending Baker freaking Mayfield on this show? But hey, sometimes there, sometimes truths aren't uh, always convenient, right? Some, like, but that, that's what I do. I deliver you guys real take truths, and I never give you real take cap talk. Although, uh, next time my buddy Drew is on the show, he'll probably give you a bit of that. Big shout out to Andrew and then all the great stuff he's doing over there uh, up in Jersey where they pump their fists, not their gas. A lot of things to go through here. Guys, if you haven't already, hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Also, 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 be sure to let me know what you're thinking in the chat. Ask your questions. Put your comments. Let me know what you think of just sports in general. I love I love to talk about sports in case anyone missed that. Um, let's move on. And talk about something that is interesting. Um, ooh, before I do, sip of water. I need another sip. Got to keep the throat uh, ready to go. <clears throat> anyway. So, anyway, this week we got some huge news regarding the settlement in the case between the NFL and the city of St. Louis regarding the... Rams move from St. Louis to Los Angeles. The NFL and the city of St. Louis have agreed to a $790 million settlement over the lawsuit filed in 2017 after the Rams relocated to Los Angeles. The settlement does not, again, not include a promise of the, and the NFL granting St. Louis an expansion franchise as speculated. Um, and it's reported that the idea was never, never really seriously discussed. So that kind of kiboshes that whole part of the report and that whole thing. Uh, so we got that down. Some other notes about this. The Rams relocated to Los Angeles for a second time in the franchise history in 2016 when Stan Kroenke moved the team from St. Louis. And the lawsuit argued that the league broke its own relocation guidelines, which if, if you read up about it, they did, um, that were adopted in 1984 and misled the public on its plans to leave the city and cost the city millions in revenue. They did break their plan, their promise. They did break their contract. They did break their lease. Basically, it was a real scumbag thing to move in the manner, especially the manner that they did. $790 million, is roughly $800 million, um, is the settlement amount. It was speculated that the settlement amount could possibly be in the billions. It was speculated that the legal fees could be cost everyone in, you know, the hundreds of millions by the time this was over because it was going to take years, like literally years. And this is a big time lawsuit. Um, so probably smart of the NFL to settle. 
Again, outside of the money, we don't really know the specific terms of the settlement. We don't know whether it's, you know, $790 million and possibly, you know, more or, or, or legal fees on top of that or, or, or you know, other, um, other monetary uh, compensation that may offset some of the losses that the city has accrued over uh, the move. We don't know whether there might be, you know, further promises made down the line or maybe a little bit of a handshake agreement over considering St. Louis down the line. But again, those reports were unsubstantiated. It's all spec that's speculation at this point. Is this settlement fair? No. No, it's not. What would have been fair would be a settlement of billions upon billions of dollars that would have made NFL teams think twice before just picking up and moving cities. What would have been fair is teaching teams a lesson about breaking contracts. What would have been fair would, would be teaching teams lessons and, and franchises lessons about leaving cities high and dry in the manner that they do and, and really abusing the fan base's trust and... The end their fandom. Because this won't stop another team from moving again. Stan Kroenke, granted, he's one of the richest owners in the NFL. He's worth damn near $9 billion, if I'm not mistaken. $790 million to him and the NFL. Drop in the bucket. It's big-time money. Don't get me wrong. It's big-time money, but comparatively to what they could have been forced to pay, drop in the bucket. If teams and franchises know that they can just throw money at a situation and make it go away, it doesn't incentivize them to do what's best for the city that they represent, the community that loves their team, the community that shows up for their team even though they're bad or good or what have you. All it proves is there's a price for doing business. There's a price for doing business, and most teams and the NFL are willing to pay that price because it's not about the communities. Like I want to make this clear. It's not about the communities. It's not about the cities. It's not about the people who show up for games, who show up for games when it's raining, who show up for games when it's snowing, who pay the exorbitant amount of money for jerseys. Jerseys that are made, honestly, pretty cheap, but they charge $120 for on NFLshop.com for supporting teams, for supporting all the different ventures that they have. The NFL doesn't care about any of that. The franchises, for the most part, don't care about any of that because they are owned and operated by almost every time, single entities in owners, they are owned and operated and work for an entity in the NFL that doesn't give a shit about the communities. They will pay lip service to you, but they will never, and I mean never, put the what's best for the fans and the communities that have supported these teams, they will never put that above 
their bottom line. That is the God honest truth. And if St. Louis, the Rams move to L.A. wasn't uh, the the right uh, example for you, look exactly what happened to Oakland. The Oakland Raiders, that was a fixture in that city. Those fans, even when their team was leaving, sold out the Coliseum or damn near sold out the Coliseum because their team was leaving. Because they didn't want them to leave. It's freaking sad, man. It's freaking It'd be one thing if some of these teams' fans weren't showing out. It'd be one thing if they weren't profitable. It'd be one thing if no one's buying jerseys and the city literally doesn't care. But in this case, St. Louis, the city cared. They won a Super Bowl. They won a Super Bowl in St. Louis, not in Los Angeles. Oakland. The Raiders are Oakland, even when they were in L.A. Even when they moved to L.A. for like 10 years, they were still the Oakland Raiders. That was their home base. That was where their fans were. The Chargers. They left a city that, that whatever you want to say about those fans, man. San Diego, San Diego loved the Chargers. They did. They hated Dean Spanos for a good reason. But what'd they do? They up and left. They left the one place where they had fans. And now they're in LA sharing a stadium with a more popular team with who actually has fans. And they can't get anyone outside. They can't get anyone who supports their team to come to, this, to the games. You go, they have divisional games with the Raiders. They have divisional games with, with the Broncos. They have divisional games with the Chiefs. And it's an away game for them. For the Chargers. It's an away game for them. Because their stadium is chock full of fans from the other team. But the community matters. No, it doesn't. Not for the NFL. I got nothing more to say about that, honestly. Like, like that that's my true, honest, unfiltered opinion, unfiltered real take. Actually, you know, that's the cold hard real take facts about the situation. And anyone who disagrees, hey, you can disagree. That's fine. That's your damn right to disagree. That's totally fine. I honestly don't give a shit. I think you're living in 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 a bit of a fantasy land if you don't th- if you think the NFL you know, truly, absolutely cares about that, about communities and about cities and and all that stuff over their bottom line because that's just, come on, unrealistic way to think. The Packers are probably the exception to all of this, honestly, because they're community-owned and not operated by an owner. They instead they have a president and they answer to to a group of owners. They answer to a community. They They are, the Packers are different because no matter what, They are rooted, embedded in the Green Bay community. Almost no other sports team in the entire world can say that. Or definitely no football team, at least. Anyway, let's move on to something a little better, honestly. We've had a lot of uh, a lot of interesting talk today. Um, Hold up as I uh, try to go through my... My notes here. Um. Okay, interesting. All right, screw it then. We shall uh, continue talking about the NFL as uh, 
Must be missing a banner here, but it's okay. We'll come back to this. We'll talk about the uh, Taysom Hill contract thing last. Anyway, let's move on and do our NFL Week 12 Pick'em. So this is like a new segment that I'm doing where we are going to be picking all of the games for the NFL. This time it is Week 12. I believe that's right. Uh, let's find out if it is. Y'all let me know in the chat, in the comments, on Twitter, at RealTakeSports, if I'm right or wrong. Whatever. Pretty sure it's Week 12. I made the graphic. I should know. Anyway, big-time games um, slated for this uh, NFL Week 12. Let's pick them. So this week, NFL Week 12, let's make our official Week 12 NFL picks. First off, Thursday we got Thanksgiving, we're going to be eating turkey, and we're going to be watching two teams that absolutely no one wants to watch play on Thanksgiving, play on Thanksgiving. The Chicago Bears at 12.30 p.m. are going to be taking on the Detroit Lions, the 0-8-1 Detroit Lions against the 3-7 Bears. In what might be Matt Nagy's uh, coup de grace, in what might be Matt Nagy's final game as the coach of the Chicago Bears, what better way to go out than delivering the first win in the Hall of Fame career, the eventual Hall of Fame coaching career of Dan Campbell. I'm going with Detroit on this one. I have to. They are the, I feel so bad for this city. I feel so bad for Dan Campbell. Like, that's who I feel most bad for. That man is pouring his heart his soul into everything for this team and none of it seems to be working it truly truly is big time sad thing vibes up there i'm rolling with detroit in this one gotta go with dan campbell man big shout out to him he's getting his first win as the detroit lions head coach and he will win a game he is not going 0 16 and 1 all right i'm sick of hearing this talk of, of, of the lions going 0 16 and 1 all right they are going to win this game manifest it come on let's go Moving on, the Dallas Cowboys are going to be hosting the Las Vegas Raiders at 4.30 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day. Interesting matchup here. The Raiders obviously doing a lot better than team than people thought. It's a team that is behind Derek Carr, who he uh, an underrated performer this year, an underrated possible MVP candidate because this team is not going to be in the position it is without Derek Carr. Given that, though, I'm going to give this game to the Raiders. I think the Cowboys are reaching the point in the season where they are hit their slump, where they underperform drastically. It's just the right time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You know why? Because the Cowboys are guaranteed to mess it up. Raiders are winning this football game, and I'm going to say by two touchdowns, baby. Because Mike McCarthy is a shitty coach. Moving on. The nightcap for Thanksgiving. The Saints hosting the Bills. Trevor Simeon starting at quarterback there. Not going to be a good look for him. As the Bills are mad. They they see what the Patriots are doing. They see what the Patriots are, are, are. How the Patriots are playing. They are now fighting for their playoff lives. For their ability to stay in that AFC East race. There's no better way to prove that they're still the top dog in that division beating the holy hell out of the Sa of the New Orleans Saints on Thanksgiving night. I'm going to say Josh Allen has four touchdown passes. Huge comeback game for him. I think smoke them. They're going to smoke them. And maybe this is the thing that the, Ra that the Saints rather really need to finally pull the plug and put Taysom Hill in at quarterback. 
the thing that I have been saying all along could possibly save their season. Put the dynamic kid in at quarterback. Moving on, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the Bucks in this one because Tom Brady is an absolute beast. And outside of Jonathan Taylor, I don't think the Colts have anything to offer <laughs> against this team. So Bucks are winning that one. Uh, Jets in the Texans in a game of two teams that are down bad, honestly, right now. Um, interesting game here. Interesting dynamic with these two teams. Jets are possibly getting Zach Wilson back. The Texans have Tyrod Taylor back. They just cut uh, Philip Lindsay. Uh, don't know what they're doing to running back right now. Don't really care. Um, in that case, I'm picking the Texans to win. I think Zach Wilson is going to come back to a situation that is responsible for getting him injured. He's going to come back to a situation that he's not prepared for and his team has not prepared him for, most of all. So I'm picking Texans in that one. Um, Giants hosting the Eagles in a in a in a fight. In a fight. These games are always close. These are NFC East specials right here. The Giants, they just fired Jason Garrett. That's that's a big storyline. Joe Judge knows he's on the hot seat. Dave Gettleman is basically packing his bags, knowing he's going out of New York. He's not going to be paying those absorbent at prices to live in Bergen County. They're not really based in New York, in case you didn't know that about the Giants. Um, I'm going with the Eagles. They're the hotter team. Playing better. Jalen Hurts is, is is doing a good job there. I got the Eagles in that one. I just don't think the Giants. You, you, fired, you fired the offensive coordinator. It doesn't fix all of your issues. Moving on. Cam Newton is going to be running wild on some redacted shit in Miami. I'm picking the Panthers. Finally to get that first win with Cam Newton as the starting quarterback in his in a return there. So I'm going to go with Cam Newton and the Panthers against the Dolphins. I just don't think the Dolphins are going to have enough to keep up. Um, Titans hosting or going to New England. New England is hot. New England is back. Bill Belichick proving to everybody that it wasn't just Tom Brady responsible for those six, count them, six Super Bowl rings. And they're playing the Tennessee Titans, a team that just cut Adrian Peterson, a team that just, just, Last week, disappointed their fans. Andrew knows that quite well. This is going to be a game to keep an eye on. I think this is going to be possibly a game of the week potential. The way these two teams operate, the way they play all both offense and defense is actually quite evenly matched, in my opinion. That being said, there is no one who puts their, their players in a better position to win than Bill Belichick. And you have to think that there's no better way to get uh, on his redemption tour, on his revenge tour. There's no better team to get revenge on than the one that beat him in Tom Brady's final game as a New England Patriot. I'm picking the Patriots over the Titans this week. Moving on, an AFC North matchup between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals. Interesting stuff. Here, what is Cincinnati? Are they the team to beat in the AFC North? Or are they just an inconsistent young team? Both of those things might actually be true. Um, one thing that is definitely true is I don't think the Steelers got it this week. I think the Bengals absolutely stomp them. We find out the Steelers are actually who we thought they were. And we possibly still don't know what the Bengals are. But they're really just a young, inexperienced, extremely 
extremely talented team that is probably a year away from being the real freaking deal uh, and, and being as consistent as a lot of these other teams are. But I'm going with the Bengals here. Moving on, the Falcons versus the Jaguars. No one gives an absolute fuck. Not even any of the fans in the, the cities. Um, Jags, because Tony Khan and AEW. Anyway, moving on, um, the Chargers are going to be playing the Broncos. Interesting, interesting stuff in the AFC West. So for those who don't know, Kansas City sits at the top of the AFC West at 7-4. A game behind them at six and four are the Chargers. They can equal that playing field and get into and, and basically tie for first place there. Meanwhile, the Broncos with a win here could be six and five, tied for second place, and still just a game behind Kansas City. Or I believe a game and a half still right there in the fight for the division. Are they more talented than the Chargers? Absolutely not. But one thing is for sure the way that defense is playing this year. They're they're the best defense in the division. They've allowed the least amount of points than any other team in that division at 183. And it's not even close. 250 for the Chiefs. 262 for the the Raiders. 260. Or sorry, yeah, 265 for the uh the Chargers as far as points scored on their defense. So they're the best scoring defense in that division. They're going to give this team fits, I think, a little bit, especially considering the fact that they know how to play Justin Herbert. But it's Air Bears' freaking game. And plus, they are playing an away game, which for the Chargers, it doesn't make a damn difference. It's it's all home slash away games for them, all neutral site games. Actually, all in whatever. Chargers win this game. And we finally see the Broncos take their rightful place under 500. In the bottom basement of the AFC West. Prove me wrong, Denver. Prove me wrong. Another team that's going to have to prove me wrong this week is the Los Angeles Rams. A team that I think has a lot of talent. But they are going into Green Bay at 4 p.m. on a Sunday on the frozen tundra as the winter approaches in Lambeau Field right after Thanksgiving. Ooh, it ain't sunny Los Angeles, people. I got Green Bay by uh, 10 points over the Los Angeles Rams. Prove me wrong. We're in the home stretch. Three more games. By the way, Kansas City Chiefs and the Arizona Cardinals are on bye weeks. Did not mention that earlier. Anyway, home stretch. Vikings taking on the San Francisco 49ers. Vikings, inconsistent is the the epitome <laughs> <laughs> of, of what this team stands for. San Francisco is just, I think they're just, they are a well-coached, functioning enough team that just doesn't have the talent to be great on offense. That is the saddest part of this team. They've won two in a row. And it's going to be three, and they're going to be six and five because the Vikings are going to choose this week to lose. However, you know what? I'm changing my pick. This game's going to be a tie because the Vikings have to get a tie every year. Watch it. Book it. Bet it. Um, don't blame me about it. Um, finally, Sunday night football. Sunday night football. The Cleveland Browns enter the big crab cake at the bank in Baltimore to take on the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson facing the team that he literally and figuratively dropped a deuce on last year on Monday night football. 
Are we going to see another poop game from Lamar? Are we going to see another cramp game, as he wants to say, from Lamar Jackson? Or is Baker Mayfield and or Case Keenum going to come in there and absolutely take over the bank? Hell no! Ravens by three touchdowns. Like, nah, that's still very ambitious by me. No, Ravens are going to win this game. I think they're going to play their style of football against this defense, run it down their throats with their running backs, who they just got rid of Le'Veon Bell, so they've solidified their running back position now. Run it downhill with Latavius Murray. Run it and, and do screens with Devontae Freeman. Keep the running backs involved. Focus less in Lamar in the running game. Still have him involved for 10 to 15 carries, but don't make it 20. Don't make it like don't don't make him run the ball and him being the primary ball handler as far as running. I think get him out of the pocket, get him moving, keep possession. The Ravens are winning this game. Finally, Washington hosting the Seattle Seahawks. Who cares? On Monday Night Football, who cares? Russell will. Uh, no, but Heineke by three. Heineke for the dub on Monday night, keeping the Washington brand of the Washington football team somehow alive at five and six in, in this race. Because if my predictions are correct, Cowboys fall to seven and four, Washington five and six. So you're telling me there's a chance. We'll find out. That's been my week 12 NFL pick them um we now move over to uh final uh topic for today final takes for today i should say but also a final topic i do have one final uh thing i want to talk about and that is uh a big time contract signing that 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 took place this week for those who might not know Taysom hill kind of maybe i don't even know how to explain it got paid ish how do i what did he? I don't. Did we find out whether he got paid or not? No, I don't know. No one knows. I don't even think Taysom Hill knows whether or not this contract is going to pay him any money because he signed like a hundred and twenty million dollar contract in the offseason last year, and guess what? It was like understood that he would not see a dime, basically, of that hundred and forty million dollars. Though it doesn't make any sense. Um, but he signed a new contract extension, so let's 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 just talk about it. Let's read it. Let's see what happens. So, Taysom Hill just got paid, maybe. Again, sources tell ESPN's Adam Schefter that Taysom Hill's new deal will pay him $40 million over the next four years if he remains in his current role in which he serves as the backup quarterback, a running back, a wide receiver, and a tight end, and a special teams ace on the New Orleans Saints. However, the deal can be worth up to $95 million if Taysom Hill becomes a starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints over the next four years. A lot of ifs, a lot of things to work out here. The deal includes $22.5 million in guarantees. Taysom Hill is 31 years old, scheduled, was scheduled to become a free agent before after this season, but he's back. Um, interesting, interesting, interesting. The Saints did have some salary cap incentive uh incentive to get this deal done because they would have had to pay Taysom Hill a lot of money on the dead cap and it would have affected their salary cap. So this is this works out for them. Basically, all we know for sure is Taysom, Taysom Hill is going to be paid $22.5 million. That's fully guaranteed. If he stays in his current role over the next four years, which we don't have a reason for him, honestly, to be cut other than injury, 
he's going to get $40 million. If he at some point becomes a starting quarterback and stays that, he's going to be paid $95 million in his base salary, basically, and the $22 million guaranteed, basically. Um, a lot of ifs. Like I said, a lot of ands, a lot of buts, a lot of things. Um, here are some things we do know for sure. In 20, Taysom Hill has been a productive player. A very productive player. And that is something you cannot take away from him. Whether it's special teams, making tackles, make, receiving, uh, catching touchdowns, running for touchdowns, hell throwing touchdowns sometimes. He can do it all. He has been proven to be an OW. A, one of the only real OWs there, there are in the NFL. An offensive weapon. You can argue that Cordell Patterson is possibly the other one, but I think Taysom Hill, honestly, is probably the best one and most versatile one because of his ability and understanding of the quarterback role. Taysom Hill in 2020 went 3-1 as a starter in relief of Drew Brees, threw four touchdowns, two interceptions, 900 yards, um, still had like eight rushing touchdowns over the year. Uh, not all of those were in starts. Some of those happened in relief, but... A bulk of his his production, obviously, in those two categories came in while he was uh, starting. This year, he hasn't really been used too much in the gadget role. He has, like, I think 100 or something yards rushing. Um, again, not too much. He has a few touchdowns rushing, I believe. But passing, he's been not used. Ta- uh, James Winston won the starting job. Um, he's now injured. Trevor Simeon has been playing as well as Trevor Simeon can be expected to play. If the I think it's only a matter of time before the Saints pull the trigger and just try. What's the harm in trying with with Taysom Hill? He is a versatile guy who knows your offense better than anyone on that field. I promise you that. There's a reason that Taysom Hill is still on this football team, and it's because Sean Payton loves him. Sean Payton wants to use him in these creative ways. It only begs the question, however, if Sean Payton loves him so much, why hasn't he taken the starting job? Why hasn't he won the starting job? Is it because maybe Sean Payton thinks he's not up to it? Is it because maybe Sean Payton loves to use Taysom Hill in this gadget role? Is it because maybe Sean Payton thinks that someone like Jameis Winston or Trevor Simeon will probably run the offense more in the style of a pocket quarterback, which is what Sean Payton kind of wants? All of these are possibilities. But the Saints are five and five. The Saints are, you know, second place in the division, about two or three games behind the Bucks at this point. The Bucks probably aren't going to slow down too much throughout this year. I think you give the kid a chance. You give the kid a chance. Find out whether or not Taysom Hill is your quarterback for the next four, five, however many years. Find it out. Because one thing we know, he's versatile. One thing, uh, he, he can be used in such so many different ways that would make the Saints' offense better, more dangerous, and, and make the passing game an even bigger threat. Taysom Hill is an underrated passer, honestly. He had a game last year where he went off. He, he played very well passing the football. His versatility and his ability to run through tackles and everything. Taysom Hill is what many people thought Tim Tebow would be. Like, he was like, what... what Everyone in their mind thought Tim Tebow was going to be like, oh, this great versatile bird just run through people and chuck the ball and then throw touchdown. He's what Tim Tebow was supposed to be, even though Tim Tebow didn't have nearly the amount of talent throwing the ball that Taysom Hill has. Taysom Hill is like 
leagues above Tim Tebow as far as throwing the football. No, no hate on Tim Tebow. Big shout out to Tim Tebow. I think you you give the kid a chance. He's no one knows the offense better than him. No one can be more versatile when things break down more than Taysom Hill. And I honestly, I, I want to say there's no one Sean Payton would trust more, but at the same time, he hasn't been named the starter yet, so who knows. But I think he's ready. And it's damn near time we find out for one way or another. It's the perfect scenario. Jameis Winston's a non-factor for the rest of the year. So we've seen what he can do. Jameis Winston played relatively well, very well, actually, at, at certain times this year. Put the kid in. Let's see what he is for the rest of the season. What do we got? Six seven, six games left. Put him in there. Let's find out. Is Taysom Hill the guy? Does he have that potential? If he does, crown him. It's his thing. If not, you got Jameis next year. You got a nice young crop of quarterbacks this year and next year coming out. Maybe it's time to move on. Stick Taysom Hill back in the gadget role. Still being productive. Still being a member of the team. Still being a beast, but you got to find out eventually. And I think that's the that's the realization that Sean Payton and the Saints need to come to sooner rather than later because we know that when teams inject some of this the, the change and, and the spark, it can change your whole season. Look at the Ravens from 2018. Start off four, what was it, four and five under Joe Flacco for the first nine games. Lamar Jackson comes in very raw at that point, but they play, but they cater to his strengths, which is, I think, what the Saints need to do, and maybe that's been the hesitancy with Sean Payton, because he has a system, obviously, but cater to your young quarterback's strengths. You can you can catch the league by fire sometimes, or you can at least let a spark in your team and win some games, rattle off some wins. Seven playoff spots, you might as well try. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, I think that's it for, for this week. Um, Good episode so far, uh, or good episode this week, I think. Uh, thank you, everyone who joined. Hit that like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you get notified whenever a new video is released. Also, be sure to check out www.realtakesports.com. Uh, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter. Keep the conversation going on Twitter, at RealTakeSports. Facebook.com forward slash RealTakesportsTalk. Instagram.com forward slash Real Take Sports Talk or I guess at Real Take Sports Talk on Instagram. Whatever whatever works. I guess I sound like a boomer there. Whatever. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Real Take Sports. Buy us some coffee because I need more. Or actually, by the sound of me right now, I probably don't need any more. I've had a lot of coffee today. Um, yeah, and we'll get our Streamlabs uh, account up pretty soon so people can start um, throwing us some... Uh, some good old cash there. Throw us a dime or two there. Uh, hopefully by next week we'll have that figured out. But Streamlabs is coming soon. By the way, we do not condone what uh, Streamlabs um, did and, and to OBS. We are an OBS. Not a Streamlabs OBS, but an OBS pro OBS product. We use OBS. I use OBS. I love OBS. Streamlabs, I'm only in it for the money. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, OBS, if you want to sponsor the kid, you know where to call me. Real Take Sports Talk at gmail.com, baby. Anyway, love this episode. Thank you guys for joining. We'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Happy.